Coming up next on Abounding Grace. I know we're living in scary, unusual, unprecedented times. It's so discouraging in some ways that it's bringing out the worst in the church. A church that's being mocked and made fun of because of believers' responses. Aren't we the salt and the light on the earth? Aren't we the ones with great hope? Aren't we the ones preaching the gospel that says this world is not your home? Egypt can't have my kids. Egypt can't have my home. Egypt can't drive it. Egypt can't, we can't fear. Like, aren't we the ones walking with hope? And then when we're tested on it, some of the worst things are being posted. Some of the worst things are being said. For what purpose? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing. Welcome to another Abounding Grace broadcast. In a moment, I'll hand things over to Pastor Ed Taylor, who continues today in our series in Hebrews. In chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, we're told that by faith, Moses applied the blood. A lot of people are afraid to talk or even think about blood these days. But as we'll be reminded, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses you of your sin. The question is, is the blood applied to your life? Is your hope in the Lord? Or have you put your hope in this world? Let's carefully and prayerfully consider that now with Pastor Ed. Listen to what Jesus says. Turn with me, Luke chapter 14 to verse 25. This is something we need to visit continually. Verse 25, great multitudes went with Jesus. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, also cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. First thing I want you to notice is that Jesus says twice, you cannot be my disciple. I know in an easy believism of the church today at large, it makes it sound like it's so super easy. Anybody can get in. Don't worry about it. Nothing's required of you. Just come to church and follow Jesus. It's easy, easy, easy street from now on. They're not telling you the truth. Jesus isn't interested in making it easier for you. He's wanting you to know this will not be easy. And you go, Ed, I don't know if I want to be a disciple. That's a really good question to ask. It's not easy. If you don't do this, you cannot. If you don't do this, you cannot. And then he talks about this hatred of people close to you, including hatred of yourself. Now understand here, this is, as he includes includes us in that list, he's not speaking about the sinful, nasty hatred that destroys a person. That's not what he's speaking about. This is a section of priorities. He says, you better understand that when you follow me, your priorities change. And you have that great familial love you'll continue to have it. You, you'll love those that are closest to you. You'll love them the most in your life. But you know that familial love needs to come second to your love for me. You want to be my disciple? I come first, Jesus says. Not the church, not the pastor, not some system of religion, none of those things. Jesus doesn't include that. He says, you want to follow me? You, won't, you can't be my disciple unless you get your priorities in order. 
Have you counted the cost? Notice what he says. He illustrates it now. Pick up with me in verse 28. He says, okay, guys, which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first and mark those words? Which one of you are going to do a building and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him. You see, being a disciple of Jesus Christ has everything to do with the right priorities with him and everyone around you. He says, people are watching you, just like the guy that's building. It made me remember this building when we started this. When I sat down to count the costs, I almost lost my mind. I mean, this was the most stressful time, one of the most stressful times in all of my time serving Jesus. It, I just count the costs. I mean, I, I don't even want to talk about the costs. I don't even want to think about the costs. I just, and, and I was overwhelmed. And, and, and a couple of times, they're very fearful. You know, when the price of steel and concrete shot through the roof right in the middle of building this, we're like, oh no, what are we going to do? We counted the cost a couple, you know, a year ago. And now it's something, and I'm just like, oh, but you've got to think ahead because we don't want this. I am so grateful that you're sitting here today worshiping Jesus Christ, where it's going out online and a radio station comes into this building and it's not half built. Aren't you happy about that? That it's just not a bunch of concrete and it's like, what happened there? Uh, you know, those guys, they thought they were going to build a building but they didn't count the cost and they lost everything. And that's a testimony to Jesus. Well, what was that building going to be? Uh, it was going to be a church. It was going to be a what? A what? Oh yeah, it was going to be a church. There was a group of people that were worshiping God and were excited to put down some roots and let, let that property be. But, you know, they didn't count the cost. They didn't follow through, and they lost everything. He says, look, you're going to follow Jesus. You've got to sit down and consider the price that it requires to follow him. There is a price involved. And if you don't consider the price, people are watching you and will mock you and make fun of you for not following through. Notice what he says. He says, the conclusion in verse 30, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king doesn't sit down first to consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else will the other still is a great way off? He sent a delegation and asked conditions of peace. And here's his conclusion. So likewise... Whoever of you does not forsake all that he cannot be my disciple. Before Jesus ever taught this, the Bible says Moses lived it. By faith, he forsook. Jesus later will say, if whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, it is an internal decision that leads to external decisions. That's the order. And church, I'm asking you to count the cost because you don't know what a day will bring. You don't know what difficulties await us. Of course, as a corporate, you know, larger group of church, we're all facing the same crisis together. Nobody could have predicted that. Nobody could have predicted what the situation that we're in today. However, we can be prepared and ready for it by the internal decision. No, I chose to forsake Egypt a long time ago. I don't need Egypt to validate me. I don't need Egypt to validate the church. I don't need Egypt's permission. I follow God. I'm not afraid of the wrath of the king. I'm not afraid of what might come. I'm going to walk confidently by faith because I forsook Egypt a long time ago. And that's the choice you have to make. I forsook all that there was a long time ago. 
I repented of my sins and chose to follow Jesus. That's where Moses is. He does it by faith. Come back to Hebrews with me. Notice it says in verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch him. Turn over to Exodus chapter 12 now, because this is where this next step in the life of Moses is Passover. Before Moses leads the children out of Egypt, this nation, remember they came in, just 70 ragtag guys come in when the, during the famine when Joseph was there. You guys remember that? He, he was there, and, and they come in, and he saves them to get the land of Goshen. They multiply, and they grow so quickly, so fast, that the 70 people become two and a half million. And a pharaoh rises up that didn't know anything about Joseph and enslaves those people, and they begin to build the cities of Egypt. And that's their current condition here in Exodus chapter 12. They're slaves. Everything they had has been taken from them. Their identity is slaves. And yet they know a God. And God is about to deliver them. In verse 1 it says, Now the Lord spoke, this is Exodus 12, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak, all to, the con speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household's too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it, according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6. Now you should keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorsteps, two doorposts, and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. And they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boil with, with, all, with water, but roast it in fire, its head and its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods, little g of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, note that, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So here Moses, by faith, sprinkles the blood and institutes the Passover. This group, 70 growing into two and a half million, this is the beginning of a nation. God has gathered a people, but now he's birthing a nation. And he's bringing them together through this memorial feast, the Passover. And by the way, 
We've gone into great depth in this in our Bible studies verse by verse through Exodus. So if this is what, something that interests you, go back to the app or to the website, pull up these studies and listen to them. We went in depth when we studied through Exodus. For, but for our time today, understand that the Passover is the clearest picture of the type of Jesus Christ and the cross in all the Bible. That this is prefiguring the coming of Messiah. So much so, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Christ is our Passover. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 that the precious blood of Christ, he is a lamb without blemish, without spot. John the Baptist would say, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You see, Israel's life was changed by a lamb. The very life and death hung in the balance with this lamb. And today, your life can be changed by a lamb. Your life. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of your life if you would come to him today. Notice they were to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost outside the door. They were to give the vertical and the horizontal. The vertical and the horizontal with the blood would paint the picture of a what? A cross. The blood of the lamb would picture a cross on the home, on the dwelling, and the Bible says that when God saw the blood, they would be spared. That's encouraging to me. It's almost like God saying, in your life today, in this room, through technology, online, on the radio, God's like God saying to you right now, I'm looking for the blood in your life. Where is the blood of Jesus in your life? Because if I see the blood of Jesus in your life, I will spare you. I will save you. I will rescue you. I will pass over. my. If I see the blood in your life, God's saying, I will pass over. My judgment will pass over you. You will not experience judgment because the blood of Jesus Christ reminds us that he himself took the judgment of your sin and mine upon himself. So encouraging. And this was in preparation. They were supposed to do it with their sandals and be ready because at any time they could leave. Anytime they needed to take a lightness, a light touch on this world. The lamb offered was without blemish. It's unfortunate that there's not a lot of talk about blood in churches today. It's like you, in, some, in some circles, it sounds like, man, salvation is so easy, doesn't require anything. And what about the blood? People are afraid to talk about the blood. But don't be afraid to talk about the blood because it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you of all your sins. There is no other way. There's no other way for you to be made right with God. None whatsoever. Now for you as a believer today, I want to draw out something that will help you in your walk with the Lord, your daily relationship with Him. The key to their being spared was not them feeling safe. God didn't say, once you come to a place where you feel safe, I'll pass over. It, it wasn't when they felt saved or protected. It wasn't their feelings that would give them a sense of, of strength and ability. It wasn't that. It wasn't, it wasn't, well, when you feel safe, it's good. No, it was their faith. And we know we walk by faith and not by sight. We understand that. But even back here, before these principles and doctrines were laid out, God was already laying. It's one God throughout all the scriptures giving one message and the message here is, wasn't when you feel, because I know some of you don't feel close to God right now, and you're thinking, well, I don't feel close to God, therefore I'm not close to God. No, it's actually not your feelings at all. What God is looking for is the blood applied to your life. Is the blood applied to your life? Well, you know what? I just, 
my week was really horrible, my attitude was really nasty, and I just don't feel saved. Well, praise God that God's not looking at your feelings. He's looking for the blood. Have you applied the blood in your life? Have you applied the blood of Jesus Christ and appropriated by faith that forgiveness? So let's go into the home for a minute. Like, let's just think of what the home might have been like for the dad and his kids that was obeying God. So dad hears the word and he obeys and he takes the blood of the animal and he goes out and he marks his house vertically, horizontally, and he comes in and as the plague is passing through and, and the wails and the screams are happening in the city and it's dark and it's difficult, those inside the homes, well, they're all imperfect sinners, just like you and me in our homes. None of our homes are filled with perfect people. We fail. We fail regularly. We sin continually. They're all in the home imperfect. They failed God. They failed each other. But how will they escape the judgment? It's the blood. Can you imagine that night? Can you imagine that being your home? Can you imagine telling the kids as they're hearing everything, what's going on, Dad? What's ha- I know you told me, but why are they screaming? And what's happening over there? And it's a very scary time. And the kids are concerned. And so what? One of your kids look up and go, Dad, did you do it right? You're firstborn. Dad, did you do it right? Are you sure you did it right? Go outside and check, Dad. Make sure you did it right. And Dad says, no, no, son. I did it right. Well, how do you know, Dad? How do you know you did it right? And dad says, well, we believe God. I did what God told me to do. Yeah, but how do you know? Well, I did what God told me to do. But are you sure? I did what God told me to do. God said this, and God said this. And were you there? Yes. And were you there? Yes. And were you there? Yes. And so trust me, son, we believe God. Oh, how do you know? We believe God. How many times moms, dads, aunts, uncles, how many times have you found yourself comforting and encouraging your kids by saying, we believe God. This is what the Bible says. Yeah, but I don't understand. I know, but this is what the Bible says. But I'm not sure. I know, but this is what the Bible says. Isn't that a much more powerful way to lead your home? This is what the Bible says, son. This is what the Bible says, daughter. Yeah, but my friend said, yeah, I know what your friend said, but we trust God. We believe in his promises. Remember Abraham? Remember Isaac? Remember Jacob, remember Noah, and you, why do we teach kids the Bible stories so that they can become the foundation of their life? They're not just stories. They are the part of the grand epic of God's will on the earth today. Some of you are doubting right now and you're fearful, maybe even upset and mad and angry. Some of you are grieving and hurting and you go, I don't know and I don't feel like it. I don't know. You pastor, tell me. I don't get it. I'm not sure. Did I do it right? And I say to you, God keeps his promises. This is what God said. We're going to do what God said. And I encourage you to do what God said. When he said he sees the blood and he'll pass over you, it's true. He will pass over the blood of the lamb. Your kids, your family, your co-workers, when they ask you about heaven and they ask you about hell, you've got to answer them with the word of God. There's just no other way around it. We need to know the word so that we can share the word. You need to know God's promises to you, learning how to walk by faith. I know we're living in scary unusual, unprecedented times. It's so discouraging in some ways that it's bringing out the worst in the church. 
a church that's being mocked and made fun of because of believers' responses. Aren't we the salt and the light on the earth? Aren't we the ones with great hope? Aren't we the ones preaching the gospel that says this world is not your home? Egypt can't have my kids. Egypt can't have my home. Egypt can't drive it. Egypt can't, we can't fear. Like, aren't we the ones walking with hope? And then when we're tested on it, some of the worst things are being posted. Some of the worst things are being said. For what purpose? Jesus said, count the cost, church. It's not going to be easy forever. Count the cost, church. It's going to require a different priority system. It's going to require us to walk in the spirit of dependence and surrender, not in the strength of our flesh. It's going to require us not to take things in our own hands and try to figure things out and try to find a way. No, it's going to require us to answer with the powerful, living Word of God. The Word of God speaks of a better city, church. One without pain and sorrow and suffering. One that we're reunited with our loved ones, resurrected in our new bodies. New bodies. You get a new body. Don't you want a new body? Don't you want to see your loved ones in heaven? Don't you want to gather? Don't you want all the tears wiped away? Aren't you sick and tired of crying? Aren't you sick and tired of hurting? Aren't you sick and tired of Egypt, church? Has the burden of Egypt been too much? Lay it aside. Some of you have placed your hope in Egypt and you're disappointed as you should be because Egypt can't help you. Every four years, people put their hope in a political cycle. Haven't you learned by now your hope is not in Egypt? Every few years, you know, you put your hope in a raise. You, I'm going to get a raise and then I'll have it and then it doesn't come through and then you're disappointed because you put your hope in Egypt. I remember very clearly when I did that, I had my boss come into my office years ago and say, Ed, I'm, I just wanted you to be one of the first to know that I'm leaving and you get my job. You know, one of my first responses is, I've always wanted your job. And I was very happy. You know, I didn't really want his job. You know what I wanted? His paycheck. Because that, that would have opened up so many things for me and my little family in California. Finally buy a house. Finally get ahead. Finally get out of debt. All these things. A couple weeks later, same boss comes into my office and says, Oh, Ed, guess what? I'm not leaving. You're not getting my job. I said, What? Bro, I've already spent your money, man. So, like, no way. But see, God had something far greater. I put my hope in Egypt, but God wanted, God wanted to move me on. I would have never known that. That whole little scenario, which is much bigger, is how I got here to Aurora. By my boss coming in and going, taking, that, taking the rug right for, out from under me. Because I put my hope in Egypt. Friend, I know you're tired of Egypt. All the things that this world has promised and hasn't delivered. All the hopes and dreams. You'll never have contentment and satisfaction until you place your hope in God. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Hear this program again anytime you'd like at AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. Pastor Ed is back with us now. And Ed, we have an excellent resource to share with our listeners from A.W. Tozer. What can you tell us about it? Well, this month's resource is a classic by Tozer. And I think it's important that you read any single reference by A.W. Tozer, but this one in particular is one of the first books that I ever bought 
as a new believer. I think I bought it second or third. The second or third resource I ever bought after a Bible was this resource from Tozer, and I read it. I used to read it every year. I don't read it quite every year now, but it's on our discipleship reading list. And so if you're interested in knowing what books we recommend to those growing in ministry, those that want to serve the Lord, this book is on it, as well as I think another 50 resources uh, that we want to put in your hands. So get the go ahead and contact us for the book of the month, but also email me. If you want to email me directly, I'll respond to that email with a link where you can download the discipleship reading list that we use here at Calvary. It's a great resource, um, very important for you to grow in grace in these last days. So get the resource, get the book, support the ministry. Uh, we appreciate you, and we need the resources. It is, you know, everything is increasing, and so I appreciate personally uh, you partnering with us in getting the Word of God out. It's such a blessing. That's The Pursuit of God, and we'll send it to you with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this online at calvaryco.store. We'll return to Hebrews next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. See you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.